the Koi Gig Pod. As I said before, it's about momentum and gaining fans and gaining the support. And I think the girls have done that. It's another massive step for women's football. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Gaelic football on Off The Ball. With AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. You're welcome back. Well, here we are on the first day of August and the men's football championship has come and gone just like that. To reflect, praise and critique, we have assembled three wise men, wise and grumpy. Mick Foley of the Sunday Times. Hello. How are you doing? We have Morris Brosnan of the Irish Examiner. Morris, great to have you with us. How are you, Joe? And Colm Keyes of the Irish Independent. Hey, Colm. Hi, Joe. How are you? Very well. So we'll get uh, stuck in. A word maybe on uh, Sunday, Colm, from Dublin's perspective. Talk about a plan coming together. Yeah, really. Probably hatched on the day or the days after. Kerry Kerry beat uh, Dublin in the All-Ireland semi-final last year. I think that's when Jack McCaffrey and Paul Mannion, certainly something stirred in them uh, watching that. Paul Mannion was in Boston watching it. Jack McCaffrey was elsewhere, but I think the two of them were in touch and they both felt the same thing at the same time that they felt it for their for their ex-colleagues and while they were happy to be away for a long time, the sense that they weren't pushing on and they weren't really, they weren't continuing to win All-Ireland titles and they had obviously left it in a good place when they departed and uh, that sense that they were staggering and stuttering a little bit and I think there was... Perhaps a little bit of guilt felt on behalf of Mannion and McCaffrey. So that was the first move back. And of course, then later on, it's Stephen Cluxton. And in between, Pat Gilroy. So Pat Gilroy is another, probably probably a key factor here. They added some layers to their to their coaching team. Uh, they added a former Dublin minor manager, Ger Ryan. He was in with them. Um, Gilroy obviously came back. And that's great familiar, familiarity for a lot of those earlier players as well. And obviously, Cluxton, he came back and it looks like it's around the time of James McCarthy's wedding uh, last Christmas when a lot of the strong conversations uh, came around to getting him back. So they were feeling really good about it going into the season. They had a good enough league, obviously culminating in Division 2, but I think it's really after the break and they might have been away in Portugal last April for a training camp. And it looks as if it really, really took off from, from there for them. Um, they obviously had that sense that they wanted to climb back up that hill. The measure of them, I suppose, of any team really is, okay, they were on this sequence of wins, six wins for most of them. Um, But how did they react to those two defeats? And that was the great question for them. And I think it really challenged players like Brian Fenton. You read his interview across the papers this morning and, you know, how adamant he was in memory. It's hard to reconcile that he actually remembers that he was the closest to the Diarmuid O'Connor uh, kick that kick in the 2021 All Ireland semi final that Dermot O'Connor keeps in. That really Kevin McLaughlin gets the score that kick starts that Mayo comeback. And Fenton felt a bit of guilt that you know he was ushering that over the sideline and O'Connor comes in and he remembers this. And you think, how does he, you think that's something so minute and yet that's what's helping to drive him. And I just think the overall the Kerry factor Kerry came back. Took a bit of their thunder and glory and David Clifford was being spoken about in terms of the greatest ever and has been and probably probably still despite last Sunday and I think we'll obviously be talking about that again. But this is the greatest ever team and yet they were perhaps felt a bit overshadowed by the greatest ever or potentially the greatest ever player 
in terms of the conversation around all of that. So there was a lot of driving points. But I think ultimately for them, uh, and I wouldn't like to play on the Clifford factor too much. It's probably a small enough factor. But I think for them to reclaim the former glory and to do it with so many elements of the past or the recent past coming back in to help them and guide them. I think there was a real communal spirit there, a real sense of togetherness that we probably don't appreciate about Dublin, that it's there. They're very, very tight-knit. Mm. You know, you talk about tight-knit club teams or tight-knit county teams from smaller... Con- but Dublin's actually... The Ju- Dublin GA landscape, it can be quite small. And they really are. You know, we think it's, you know, it's, it's a, such a big population. There's so many strands of it. And there is a lot of diversity there. But this group are really, really tight, and they're driven by that 1993 group of Fenton, Kilkenny, Small, Mannion, McCaffrey. And you get a guy back in like Jack McCaffrey around the place, and it's in, he's just infectious. So he's he's part of the furniture there. They brought that furniture back in, and away they went. Nick, with regard to the legacy of this Dublin group, I'm curious as to what you think Sunday adds to it. Their excellence hardly needed uh, reaffirming, but I don't know, it, it maybe borne out by the, the warmth of the celebrations and the emotion. It's now not a team with just uninterrupted excellence. There's kind of a three-dimensional tale there. I, I feel this All-Ireland will be quite well remembered. Ah, uh, sure, look at... I think James McCarthy said it, and I'd say for a good share of them, it's the best one probably of them all. Apart from your first, do you know? First is obviously always special, but uh, yeah, like... It's a, it was an enormous All Ireland for them, really. When you when you when you when you look at it in the round, and you know, I was chatting to somebody before the game. Uh, I was chatting to Joe Marahertig, uh, uh now of West Kerry from Dublin, and Claire and journalist, and and, and he, we were talking about Kerry in the mid eighties. You know, when Kerry lost the five in a row in eighty two and came back in eighty four. Joe was like, like they won three in a row when they came back, but we were saying they only needed to win one really to kind of settle. To settle what had been had been raised by again like the parallels of history, that Kerry team only lost two games really like they lost the All Ireland final in eighty two and they lost the Munster final to Cork in eighty three. Same as Dublin now this time around Dublin lose two All Ireland semi-finals. But the question the question arises: Kerry come back that time with a little a little infusion of new blood. Dublin the same this time over the couple of years. So yeah, it just it does so many things. This All Ireland title like number one, it confirms. Uh, it's it's it settles sorry it settles any anxieties they had themselves over the previous couple of years. Colin mentioned there like about about Brian Fenton kind of you know mulling over being the man that was close to the German O'Connor. Like the, this is how these guys that's how they won six in a row because they'll mull over the stuff that went wrong. You know they'll mull over the stuff that they need to do better all the time, and that's probably what drove that generation on. And the talk over and again, I've heard anyway since since Sunday night, has been it wasn't so much about putting a ninth in James McCarthy's pocket and, and Cluxon and Fitzsimons. It was about putting a first or a second medal in some of the younger lads. So now that there is a standard set for them. And now they know, even if Dublin go into a dip or whatever in the next decade, the boys are there. They know what it takes to win an All-Ireland. What it does as well is, and I mean, I doubt if Dublin were thinking this way, but now they can think this way. So like if Kerry had won it, you're looking at three in a row next year and all of a sudden we're having a completely different conversation about where this particular Kerry team lies in the pantheon. But now, it's a one. We're looking at Dublin of 1-1. No one is really seriously saying Dublin are shoe-ins for two in a row because they're waiting to see who's going to be left standing next January. And then when you look behind, the pack is so close that suddenly, you know, 
the idea that uh, going from three in a row, suddenly the, the climb back for Kerry, and I'm not saying they'll, they'll be right there next year, obviously, again, but the climb back from where they were last Sunday evening and the possibilities to getting those possibilities again is now enormous. So Dublin will take a lot. Dublin will take a lot from that, uh, and uh, you know, and the fact that they've said, I think it's one of the most important. Um, All Ireland's Dublin have won in the modern era, and I mean in the last seventy years is what yes. I mean by that. Like the, it's, it puts a flag. It puts a flag for the guys that come next if things do go into a dip, and that's not to say they will. Yes, and Morris, the most difficult question of the of the three openers to you, what is your sense of Dublin twenty twenty four? That's a very good question. And it's a, a very difficult one. It's a to horrible question. <laughs> but and the truth is, I mean, nobody can answer that question legitimately or, or claim that they actually know because we don't know. I mean, if you were to put an over under on how many players and maybe management and selectors are going to leave this Dublin, would it be close to double digits? I'd say it might be. Um, you know, you're, you're reading the tea leaves to a certain extent with this sort of stuff, but yeah. you couldn't help but notice when you're in the press box on Sunday and you're looking down on the pitch and James McCarthy arrives back out with. Dean Rock and Mick Fitzsimons and they take a moment just to trade them on the pitch together and you're looking at what, trying to read into what Dean Rock said after the game and what James McCarthy said after the game and the body language of a couple of other people downstairs. It was the most, I don't know about two lads now, they've obviously covered more uh, All-Irelands than I have, but it was the most relaxed I've ever seen this Dublin team afterwards. Even just generally, you know, the walking around with drinks in their hands and the, the banter that was going on outside the gestures afterwards and at one stage, Kieran Kenny was doing a, his media dealings at one end of the, the big long corridor where they all do it, and John Smallland has it down the other end, screaming down at him about being a spoofer and this kind of stuff, stuff that you would never. <laughs> and this would always happen behind closed doors previously. You would never, they would never give you the, the glimpse of that. And this was the, of all the, of all the islands for me, Joe, this was the most revealing in terms of what actually powers this Dublin, like where their mindset really is. Uh, Post, you know, we we get it in drips and drabs. Bernard Brogan's book gave us a bit of it. Paddy Andrews on, on your own station gave it to, to a certain extent. But this talk of it all being intrinsic and about the process that powered Jim Gavin, it's certainly not the case with this Dublin team. Like you've got a real sense of the hurt that they bottled immediately afterwards. You heard what Mick Times was referencing in terms of how Desi Farrell was talked about. James McCarthy referenced it too. Um, you've got a very Brian Fenton in that same interview that Colin referenced today. He went in as far as to say that you know, his motivators were friends and family. And then he'd look in the dressing room and think of what had been said about, about Desi Farrell. He you know, admitted that openly as well as, as James McCarthy. So the honest answer is, is I don't know. I don't know what it says about where they're going to be in 24 until we see who's coming back and uh, what other what other fuel they can draw on. Yeah, I'd say they had the intention all year of this being a last hurrah. And I think that probably carried on. But I think the more distance there is from last Sunday, I think they'll find it very, very hard to pull away. Yeah. Like you would hear... Certain fellas are interested in going travelling. And I, I think it might be Dean Rock's last year. After that, I'm really not so sure. So do you think at Dean, um, at Dean Rock's stag in Marbella, they'll get around and say, nobody, <laughs> nobody's retiring? Yeah. <laughs> Dean it's Rock, nice I just you, get Dean. the sense that maybe Dean Rock is, I don't know. I mean, how do we know really? But I just got from from all the comments, you think that he is probably most ready and, and least willing to return. I just, you get that sense yeah. that he, he really feels. But other than that, I'm not so sure we'll be, I I, I, I certainly thought Exodus all evening Sunday, that's the way they were, and even yes, but the, it's a hard thing to pull away from for them. It really is. There's a magnet there that drew so many of them back into the first place. Mm. And there's always that temptation to go again. So, you know, what we thought maybe even two days ago, may not, may not apply, and I'm sure... I'm sure when they get the euphoria around the city and just that sense of togetherness of having achieved something to say, maybe let's go again. 
And there may be a sense as well of sort of, let's be careful about this. From the Obviously, we're talking about the older guys. So let's say for argument's sake, one or two step away. Then there might be one or two other lads who were thinking maybe taking the year out or stepping away or whatever that might think, well, we don't want to go off this to go off a cliff completely. And there may be a certain sense of responsibility that, well, geez, you know, we're running all Ireland. Like, we're not going to be far off again next year. The juice might be worth the squeeze again, you know. So there'd be an awful lot of stuff to consider. And it's a long, I mean, keep in mind, like, we're talking, what are we, six months? God only knows what's going to happen between now and then in terms of injuries, in terms of club. Uh, I think what Desi Farrell does himself would probably be an enormous factor here in terms of some of the players. Um so there's a lot, there's an awful lot of play left in this, like in terms of what Dublin are going to look like next year. I think if they could get Cluxton and Jack McCaffrey, Stephen Cluxton to Jack McCaffrey to stay on, that would be that would be a core element for it. I think a lot of a lot of other players could possibly that may be wavering somehow, but I think those two would be essential for for different reasons because they're at they're at complete completely different parts of the. The personality chart, they're so diverse in character and everything, but yet that's the ties that bind this Dublin team. And I think they'd be two essential characters to have around the place that would probably be the glue for everybody else in many respects. And obviously James McCarthy, the yeah. totemic James McCarthy in many respects for how he leads this Dublin team. Uh, but I'd bet that James McCarthy, despite what he said, that it would be a nice way to go out on Sunday evening. I'd say it'd be even nicer for him to go back next year. Well, look, I'm sure for starters, Cluxton will furnish us all with a lengthy statement. So we'll keep an eye out for that and go from there. Yeah, looking forward to that. Forward to, that. <laughs> um, to review the season then in a bit of depth, Morris, I, I've divided the, the championship season into three acts for us. So act one, the provincials. To jog memories, we obviously had a very tight turnaround from the league campaign. Mayo lost pretty much the week after winning the league to Roscommon. And then Galway won in Connacht, putting 220 on Sligo and to their 12 points. In Leinster, we had Dublin putting 521 on Loud. We did have Offaly beating Meath, and I think most of us consumed that in a kind of two or three minute highlights package on the Sunday game. Kildare Dublin was um, okay-ish. Dublin were poor. Glen Ryan not happy about Crow Park. Munster, Kerry put 514 on Clare. They'd be Tipperary by 20 points. I guess Clare Limerick was a very decent semi-final. In Ulster, there was Derry Armagh in the final, the penalties. New York obviously did their thing as a highlight. Uh, Clare did beat Cork for the first time since 97. But in the main, Morris, I would say most people listening, if I hadn't jogged their memory, would not remember any of that. And the phrase shadow boxing was used approximately 48 times per day around uh, GA journalism. So the provincial championships are just like, it's not even live support. I mean, they're dead. They're six feet under. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure. Uh, I would not, for a second, underestimate the the refusal to go quietly into light that would exist amongst those organisations. I definitely don't think. Um, I don't think the provincial championships would consider themselves dead, and they would still see weight in what they're doing. Uh, as look, as a contest, you're you're right. I think you could, this was very evident that certain teams didn't just didn't prioritise it whatsoever, to my mind, anyway. Um, and it, it did start with fireworks, as I said, with that that night when. We're all up late watching New York do their thing and Leitrim endure uh, a bit of a nightmare. And then unfortunately, it just it just failed to deliver from there. Like, I, I I would make the case, I think Munster didn't have, you could maybe make a case for Claire Limerick, but beyond that, I don't think it had a, a single good game. I think Ulster probably had two. Tyrone Monaghan was good and the Ulster final was, was gripping, certainly to be there. Um, Connors 
was probably you could argue was the best. You know, Galway Roscommon was pretty decent. The uh, game before that, the Roscommon game was pretty good as well. But beyond and obviously the the New York stuff, but beyond that, it in itself wasn't as good. And then Leinster, the only highlight from Leinster for me was the the semi final, the uh, the loud Offaly game, which was was great. Like that was yeah. an absolute cracker, and yeah. it became a uh, a blockbuster. And it's arguably, you know, after Kerry Derry, it's arguably the second best game that we saw this year. But the the, there's two different things going on here, Joe. Like there's the conversation that you're having about the merits of the competition, which is, I presume we're going to get to in a second about the group stages, and there's how the public view them. And I think they're we're increasingly seeing they're veering totally off kilter. Like if you look at the attendances for a lot of the provincials, they still held up reasonably. You mentioned the Dublin Kildare game, and you fast forward a couple of months later, and the two teams are meeting in what should be a more significant game in Nolan Park, and there's eight thousand people there. There's, the public don't they look at the group stages and they see. There's, there's only three teams going out here. There's no point in us investing in this. Mm. And for, for whatever reason, there are still teams who are putting stock in provincial medals. You got that sense from Armagh. I mean, they came out and said that after the, that down semi-final that they really want silverware. They think it's important for that group. Derry, from minute one, came out and put stock in, in what that meant for them. You saw it in Dublin. They made the case very, very clearly. They approached this year. Desi Farrell said to us months ago, they broke this year down into three stages and Leinster was a very important stage within that to win silverware. So the teams still do put stock in it to a certain extent. At least they're telling us they put stock in to a certain extent. But it definitely is struggling to capture the public and the group stages really didn't capture the public. And that's a problem when the trajectory of your season, if anything, is, is going downwards, that you don't feel like there's uh, you know, there's more on the line, that the season's ramping up. That's a real issue. And I think that's something that the, the GA do need to be conscious of. Is how do we make... How do we win over the public, like keep the public invested in this? Because when you boil it down to it, and you've seen this in the past with super rates, what really kills those systems is when people fall out of love for it and, mm. and stop going to it. Yeah. Mick, where are you on the provincials and where the public are with the provincials? Well, I think we're looking at a long game here. Like, I mean, you know, where the public, the public's one of a notion, to be honest <laughs> with you. Right? I mean, year it's year one, though. I mean, it's year one of this system, right? So the public's one of a notion, the players, the management's, the media don't have a notion. No one knows, could have possibly known in April, May, how this whole thing is going to work out, right? So, I mean, the idea of where where are we with the provincial championships, different teams would have t- taken a different tack to it in terms of importance or whatever you want to say. But, like, how they actually paced their way through a season, no one, they were all kind of figuring it out on the fly, really, apart from Kerry and Dublin. And it's it's all really, and Desi is fine. It's, it's, it's perfectly legitimate for Desi to say, like, well, winning Leinster was all part of our season. Of course it is when it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. So that's that's fairly a handy statement to make, really. If, if, it wasn't so an, like, if it wasn't an important part of their season, they still would have won Leinster. They still would have <laughs> won it. We didn't care, but we still won it. So, like, where are we? I mean, I think the, the process of the Provincial Championship, I think the gradual kind of tugging of the rug from underneath the Provincial Championship's feet has started. The fact that people didn't go to the group games was because they didn't have a clue what really was going on. Yeah. Like, they were kind of like... Is this a is this a knockout? Is it no? Is what's happening now? People didn't really get it. Yeah. And I don't mean I mean I don't say that necessarily. I don't want to sound like up in an ivory tower going. Oh, we knew it all. We did, no one knew, hmm. right? So people did like generally anyway. I mean, when they would have projected out, they would have been looking at okay, what are the attendance is going to look like when you win when you play more games in in, in GA, the attendances tend to flatten out, right? So I doubt if they were expecting enormous crowds for a lot of those group stage matches anyway but they would have put all their stock on the last day being the business, which it kind of was, yeah. right? It worked out. They would have looked at the last day of the leagues and gone, we want that, right? And people will have that memory next year. And people will also, 
for most teams, apart from Dublin and Kerry, I would say, a blip in your group in your group games did come back to haunt you at some stage, or even a blip in the provincials, depending on where it puts you. But certainly in your group games, for most teams that would have had designs on doing something, I'm thinking of Galway in particular here, yeah. it put them in a right spot. So suddenly the group games are going to have a lot more interest next year. We're in the middle of a whole learning here um, in terms of where we put it. And you're going to, I'd say you're going to see, again, it won't be the same for everybody, but different teams will put different emphasis on league, provincial and in the group maybe than what they did last year or this year I mean depending on you know Yeah no it's a fair point there'll be different answers depending on which county you're talking about for the purposes of time Colm you might take us more definitively into the group stages chat then Obviously, from for in advance and then throughout the majority of the group stages, the criticism was, well, three teams going through is just silly. These are meaningless games. And then the thing exploded to life on the final day. There's an argument it was the best day of the championship. So does that salvage the group stages now in the, the mind's eye of people? Yeah, it was actually the best few minutes at the very end of that last day when Aidan O'Shea and John Heslin and who who else was it? it was Shane Walsh and Shane Walsh was in Carrick and Shannon. There was actually four players. Kevin Feely, Kevin Feely, obviously against Roscommon. So around the same time, there's four players standing over kicks, which mean their teams will either uh, stand or fall in the championship. Now the script writers for this couldn't have asked for any better than those last few minutes and the drama that unfolded there. I mean, John Heslin had a kick to put out Tyrone that day. Shane Walsh had a kick to put Galway into the straight into the quarterfinals. That's a bump on the road, obviously, that they didn't recover from. Obviously, Aidan O'Shea's kick, had that gone over, you know, that makes a difference to the score difference that day. So the drama, Kevin Feely gets his and suddenly it's Kildare who are advancing uh, into and Ruscom- it's Kildare advancing. So all of these things, all of these things really, really mattered um, on that last day. So we were looking for Jeopardy, Jeopardy couldn't have come really in the first first or second rounds of the, the, the qualifier groups. Yeah. But they came on the last day. So from that point of view, like, and as Mike Mick referenced there, like the last last day of the league is great. You're looking up and down the tables to see who's moving here, there and everywhere. Obviously, there's, the games are very tightly compressed together and that impacts on crowds as much as anything. And you'll see it in the league too. The first couple of rounds in the league in late January and February will be very, very well attended. And then it can tend to start to slide and it'll pick up towards the last day. That's 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 probably, it, follow, it followed that trend. I think on balance, you have to give it time over over a three to five year period to see does this format work. Yeah. Maybe it won't. And maybe the uh, the league format for the summer uh, will be very much back on the, on the agenda with the provincial championships put back to spring. That might allow a slightly later start and to free up to free up a few weekends a little bit better. And I think really that's what this championship needs is is room to breathe because it had no room to breathe this year. We were talking and this time last year, it was a week later. The championship has advanced. It's it's lengthened by one week. It probably needs to go one more week, but I think there will be opposition and opposition for the right reasons from, you know, a county like Cork that has a very expanded championship and they really cannot move their championship starts any further back into August because they have such a big programme and they want their players playing at least in some part of the summer when the evenings are, are relatively long before it moves into September and the light is fading and all of that. But I have to say, I thought the group group stages threw up 
threw up some some very interesting uh, very interesting games. Obviously, Mayo going down to beat Kerry. They didn't care about their provincial loss that afternoon in Killarney uh, to Roscommon when they beat Kerry, first Kerry defeat in uh, in Killarney since 95. Um, but the last day was particularly good, and I think it probably will give it a stay of execution for a while. Yeah. Is that where we are with it, Mick, as a final word on group? Uh, stay of execution, we didn't hate it so much that we're going to kick up a storm over the next six months. So you get, you get one more year group, and let's see if it's always that good on the last day. Oh uh, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd say from a from a GA perspective, the people who actually make these decisions, there was no question of getting rid of it. I'd say they'd at least want to give it two years anyway, yeah. and you know, give it give it to three again. As I say, it'll bed in now this year, or sorry, this year, next year, people will know a little bit more about what can happen and kind of the rhythm of the season. That's the thing, like. The rhythm of the season, I think, is still people are still kind of, again, media, including everybody, trying to kind of just get to grips with kind of how quick all this happens mm. and, and where where are the pinch points or what are the important things in this season? Does it matter if you're in Division 1 anymore, does it? Because a Division 2 team just won the All-Ireland. So, like, where where is the interesting bits in the league? When does the championship really kick in? All this kind of stuff. And also this whole thing. Like, we've been crying out for decades, like, decades for more matches, yes. okay? yeah. But now... But now we're in a situation where knockout is being diluted out of it. So people are also dealing with that, I think, you know, that people want more matches and they want a second chance and they want more days out. But equally, they enjoy the knockout thing. But like knockout doesn't, you know, knockout has its place in this system. So I think people are adapting to that. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Yes, well, that's very fair. We're going to take a very short break. Mick Foley of the Sunday Times, Morris Brosnan of The Examiner and Colin Keyes of the Irish Independent back with us in just one moment. Gaelic football on Off The Ball with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship check out hashtag the toughest for more you're welcome back we're looking back on the men's football championship that was we have Colin Keyes of the Irish Independent Morris Brosnan of the Examiner and Mick Foley of the Sunday Times with us we've chatted through uh, Dublin's success and the provincial championship and the uh, group stages the knockouts, Morris, I was sort of one of those that was finding a, a tough season to uh, get into for many reasons. And there was a, a, a constant sense of wait till we get to the knockout stages. It'll be spectacular now. It'll really kick off. So preliminary quarterfinals, we had Galway Mayo in that very strong wind and uh, Galway bowed out. We had Kildare Monaghan last minute win. We had Cork Roscommon went down to the last minute as well. The quarters was Dublin Mayo, that epic start to the second half in Dublin's part. We had Armagh Monaghan, which uh, finished in drama, whatever about the preceding 90 minutes, finished in the drama of penalties. Kerry did their stuff against Tyrone. Derry Cork was tough going. And then the semis, Dublin Monaghan threatened. And then you'd have to say Kerry and Derry uh, delivered. And we've touched on the final already. So um, how many Morris Brosnan stars out of five are you giving the knockout stages? Uh, if you're including their preliminary... I'll say three out of five. And if you're just going to go quarterfinal, semifinals, final, I probably might, might knock it down to, to two. But there's there's two things going on there, Joe, that I, I think we probably don't want to get confused. Like there is the, there's the obvious and real conversation about the playing style and what we're seeing in terms of strategy on the field. And then there's quality, just in itself quality, which I, I don't think, as good as the Dublin team are, I don't think they're as good as the, the five in a row, the 2019, which was probably their peak. I, we've probably seen it a devolution to a certain extent in football, mainly that's because of COVID, I would imagine. Yeah. And as a consequence of that, I I think there's two different things going on here. Like there's the there's just 
general poor quality. If you look at the final, for example, it's a perfect example to me. I, I know maybe not everybody found the final utterly gripping and entertaining, but a lot of that, at least for me anyway, was just because of poor quality, like poor execution. You had shots being ballooned up in the air that you would normally see. You, you know, think about David Clifford did it, Thomas Sullivan did it, Colin Basquiat dropped one in short small stuff like that that just wouldn't happen. Players were trying to kick the ball, but it just so happened that they were rolling out over the end line. There was goal chances there and it just so happened they were completely fluffed and was it saved off the line or was it going wide? But mm. by and large, if any of those, if those opportunities are taken, suddenly the game becomes a classic and it enlivens everybody. You say, well, this was brilliant. But that's not the same as the flip side of the thing, which is the, the main thing, which is this kind of conservative, retained possession, yeah. going away from contests and uh, back towards this idea of, of maintaining the ball. So the, the final is in a, in my very specific rating system, the final is in a different bracket to those early stages, which I, the Armagh-Monaghan game really cries out for me from particularly maybe Armagh's approach in that game. And, and it belongs in a different bracket. And that's a, it's a bigger conversation about yeah. where football is right now. Well, it, it's probably the conversation to have. So, Mick, we might move it that way. Style of play. And I I, I mean, I, I could not stress to you, we were just inundated with text messages, tweets <laughs> across most of the championship. People just hated it. They absolutely hated it. This this lateral stuff. Endlessly. It was, it was kind of like a a metaphor for the never-ending season, the precursor to the knockout stages, the provincials and then the group stages. It, it was like watching a insert team here attack, which went on for six minutes. Uh, and that's not a dig at Roscommon specifically. So the style of play has been a talking point for about 20 years now. We're probably 20 years on puke football. There's a good there's a good Sunday Times piece now over the next six months <laughs> on the 20th anniversary yeah. of that, just to tell you. But, um, someone else can do it. Someone else can do it. But I, I would say this year more than any in my time doing the show anyway people are, are just hating the style of football in far too many games yeah I think it's probably it's probably crossed the line somewhere along the way now and I think it's it's obviously partly driven as well by the fact that people are seeing more football and there's more conversation around it and you know all the rest of it but yeah like I mean you say 20 years I mean look at football has been in a, in a state of almost damaging self-analysis probably probably since they put rules on it, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, even the great games that people recall as great games, you know, were maybe remembered and analysed in a different way back well, at the I don't, time. But um, you, you might remember, I, I presume uh, through the 90s, which for me, my childhood were just colour and excitement. I presume on the TV, were they oh, going yeah. back to punditry saying, this game is rubbish, what a terrible game well, that was? Well, I yeah, I mean, well, they were, because I mean, what you had at that time was, that was probably... And Colm could probably weigh in on this better than I could. Colm, I think, started in the business a couple of years before I did. But I can remember in the the early 90s, like, by the way, I thought football during the 90s was terrible. OK, when you look back on it now, I mean, it, some good games, but I mean, by and large, it was bad. Yeah. Um, But you also had at the time you had a group of players coming into the media. So you're talking Pat Spillane, Colm O'Rourke mm. in particular, mm. who were beginning to analyse the game in a particular way far more. I suppose, far more analytical and far more, I want to say cutting, but I don't mean cutting, just they said they said it as they saw it, which was a difference from what went before. So suddenly people started looking at football in a slightly more in a slightly more critical light and started knowing, well, is this actually good? You know, and it's not, it's actually not good. And then you had the whole debate during the 90s about the knockout system, the fact you only had one game and the commando train that went on and was the football any good in that one championship game and so on and so forth and so forth. So, yeah. so like you had that. So then coming into 
you mentioned like coming into the noughties, I mean, the game just look, the game has evolved. To me, I would have always have been of the view that the game will evolve itself whatever way it's going to go. And from the noughties through, you had some brilliant coaches, skill levels went up, fitness levels went up, everything, everything will eventually evolve around to a good product even when people were criticizing it at the time say oh three were throwing our man different different things that up there that actually the basis the base skills and the fitness levels here are going up all the time it's going to be okay but even like i've come to the point now where i think there needs to be direct intervention like because as you say it's the keep ball everybody is playing more or less the same way yeah and it is interminable and now i have to say about the final on sunday like when i was at it I, I, I thought I was going to have some kind of breakdown about 20 minutes into the first half. I, couldn't, <laughs> I looked up at the I looked up at the clock after 25 minutes and I thought, is there only 25 minutes gone? I thought it was nearly half time. But like watching it back, it's a bit it actually looks better on TV than I think okay. it did there. It's funny because um, I, I thought it was great on TV and I spoke to someone at yeah. it and they thought it was terrible. There you go. It's funny, isn't it? Because mm. I think it was just the what is this this keep ball? It's the it's the constant hand passing, it's the going back. And you know, I have to catch myself. I hear myself saying this stuff. I know it's so you sound like a geezer, like an old, an old guy giving all of us not like it was in my day, kind of thing. But I do actually think it's got to a point now where people are bored watching this. Yeah. Like, you know, they're bored and I think they're getting annoyed. Colin, I have it, to say, it, can, it could I, be so much better. I, you know? Well, I I think I I agree with that entirely. I I did find myself, Colin, watching Mayo against Loud, and it was a beautiful sunny day outside. And like Loud did the right thing, they stayed in the game, but I did think to myself, I don't want to watch this anymore. And I've never thought that over the previous 15, 20 years, even um, when the complaints were there. Probably even the same. I remember, well, obviously it's only a couple of weeks back. uh, It's only four weeks back when Cork played Derry in the All-Ireland quarterfinal. And I remember thinking I could hear the chatter around Croke Park, just around the stands as the game was going on. And it's like watching Headingley or Edge Batson, and there's a cricket game going on, and you, you can you can hear the noise of the crowd. They're disengaged. They're even disengaged at the match. Now, obviously, for that game, the two goals went in in quick succession, and that was a a small jolt of electricity into it. But by and large, that probably equated with the Mayo Loud game too. And there were many more. Obviously, Dublin Dublin Roscommon. While it was a draw and a great result for Roscommon, and that's the way they have to be. It's you know, it's like it's like the film Gladiator. They have to stick together when they're in the when they're in the Coliseum as the mm. chariots are roaring out. They have to do what they have to do to survive in the game and to hang in hang in the game. I think the irony of all of this is that the the levels of everything have never been better. Yeah. The overall product is really suffering because, by and large, and Mick referenced the 1990s. The rules were certainly different. You know, you get away with an awful lot more in the 1990s than you would even in the 2000s. Uh, Croke Park for a start was a different surface it was a different place to play in Croke Park and then the reconstruction came in 20, 2002 and I remember thinking around then games are different there now and now obviously all grounds are are different but I really felt in Croke Park that the games games started to change with the redevelopment in some way now how can I equate that I can't but I just feel the surface plays played different and the games are much, much more different in the 1990s and obviously there was far more tolerance Physically of what could what what could happen, but I I do think I do think the game is lurching towards crisis point. I think there are, you know because there's less mistakes now. Last Sunday was probably the outlier for that, but players have become so good at ex- execution. And I think the big thing is 
defence has improved so much. And whether that's by numbers or strategy or better technique and a far better idea how to position. You're at the game last Sunday, you're thinking, how are Kerry going to get the ball into David Clifford? They have to engineer some space here. And I was looking at it with that specifically and thinking, Darren Moynihan's looking up, he can't see the pass on, so he has to go back. And same for Paulie Clifford, he's looking for his brother, but he cannot get him. And that's because Dublin, the phalanx of bodies in front of in front of David Clifford, the Dublin bodies are so well structured, so well organized that mm. they just cannot find a way through through here. And it leads to say, well, what how can this change? And and that's that's a lot of teams. And obviously, obviously it's that the fundamental way to play is to pack the numbers in defense and hit on the counter-attack. And I think we can see that in some of the scoring trends now. If you look at the goals scored this year, how many have been scored by defenders? Uh, over 20%. And that's because of the counter-attacking game, the turnover and goal. And that's about the only bit of excitement when the ball is turned over that you will get, really. Yeah. Other than a pass into the corner beneath the Hogan st- or beneath the Cusick stand in the hill when David Clifford got it against, whether it was Derry or Tyrone, you saw the game opening up and obviously with his goal last Sunday, but you just didn't see enough of that. So there is a real reckoning coming for the game at some stage, I'm pretty sure. And what that is, I think my own my own idea is to reduce the numbers on the field to free it up a little bit, allow more substitutes, obviously, for fatigue. But I think there has to be less bodies on the pitch. Morris, I'll uh, give you final words. So like, they're kind of stark comments from... Uh, the two lads and I think all of us are in agreement and I, and I mentioned Mayo Loud and instantly felt guilty because Loud did brilliantly to stay in the game it was ferocious heat and the skill levels across the board are just so good that you can't fault the players or the management and I would also say I've sat through some appallingly boring soccer games and rugby games over the last couple of years as well like appallingly dull so I don't know maybe that might be a slightly grim note of optimism <laughs> um, oh geez, I, I hope I hope not. I hope that's not where a resolution to this. Uh, I, Joe, I think the what Colin just said there is the the crux of this, and I think it's so important that we define what actually is the issue. Like, what is it that we want Gaelic football to be? Because before you go tweaking, when I was in college, I actually the the rules, the current rule trials that are coming to going to be played in freshers football next year. We experienced those. That was so. This is this is a rehash of stuff that was done previously. People keep. You mentioned that Roscommon six minutes spell there. People, you know that the hand pass is a is a constantly a source of complaint. But I think the ratio there was only one to one in terms of kick pass and hand passes in terms of how Roscommon retained possession. The hand pass isn't the issue there. The issue is the fact that they're retaining possession. It's control. Yes. There's too much. There's too much control in Gaelic football. So what we want to do is incentivize teams to try and force more turnovers. Exactly as Cullum said there, the majority of scores come from turnovers because that's when the game is slightly more unstructured. There's open space. Players can go and take people on. So you need to incentivize that. That's what you need to prioritize. And, and how do we do that is, is the ultimate question. Like, do you, you know, a constant thing now is teams won't press up high anymore. Loud certainly wouldn't do that. So how do you incentivize teams to press high? Do you stop them from backpassing to the goalkeeper? Because then suddenly you can trap a team. You can force them in the same way Dublin did to Monaghan. Like Dublin, ironically, the, the best example is twice this year, they pressed high, forced turnovers. They did it against Monaghan and they did it to, to Gavin White at the weekend. Mm. So c- can you enforce that? Uh, one thing from the weekend, David Goff he, he let the game flow and he was a lot more uh, open to allow the tackle. And I think if you if you had more of a, of a robust tackle, I'm not saying to go to this extreme, but let's say for argument's sake, you had an AFL tackle where I could go and 
know, wrap you with both hands and drag you down, immediately I'd be chasing you all over the field because the chance of me getting a turnover is way higher. And then suddenly it's you have the ball, but I'm hunting you to get it back. And then I have the ball and you're doing the same. And you would inject a huge degree of excitement that way. So I, I don't think it's... I, I Morris, I I'm, ready, I'm, I'm ready to pass that motion right now and just watch the carnage <laughs> for a year. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that uh, we, like, until we define what is actually the issue, rather than... I, there's so much talk about yeah. the hand pass or fisted points or, or controlling possession. And then suddenly if you, you can tackle that. But I, I just... I, I, we're all in agreement that there is an, an issue. I don't necessarily think we're all in agreement as to what actually that issue is. And mm. that it's really important to define that. Like just, just very, very quickly. I mean, th- that's it in a nutshell. Like, I mean, of, in all the years, like talking to guys within the GA, guys involved in committees, rule makers, all the rest of you ask what to put football. They say, we want, we want to create chaos, contests and collisions. That's how I would describe it. These are the guys who, who are, charge making the rules yeah. right that's what they're trying to generate Morris mentioned it there what you're going to see in terms of experimental rules are a rehash uh, but there's been loads of attempts to try and open up the game a bit and they have been pushed back by county boards by managers players there has to be some way here that we just drive rules <laughs> here because I mean it's not just about managers and players managers and players say well we're the guys who play it and, and you know we're the ones and they do need to be listened to but there is a variety of stakeholders here. Like there's a GAA itself as guardians of the game who need to create rules that get the best out of football as a concept, right? You like you have the players and coaches who play the game, so it has to be enjoyable for them. You know, I can't imagine that this is that enjoyable, really. No. I mean, there's all, I mean, th- there is tremendous um, collectivism and there's tremendous energy within a group when you're trying to achieve something, but it can't be much fun, like, uh, when you're actually going out and playing that game for long stretches. Other stakeholders, the media, the media are here to hold a mirror up to the game in this context and say, well, here's what it looks like. And here's 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 reasonable critique of what 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 where the game is going. And then you have the public who actually keep the game alive by going. Yes. So if you can't, I mean, Morris nailed it there. If The first thing to do is to find what Gaelic football needs to look like, you know, and once you get that, then you need to start. But counties, administrators. And players and coaches need to be a lot more courageous in terms of what they're willing to try and willing to submit to, to try and make the game better for a wider audience and for the game itself to actually blossom. Because it's so close. Like, this, the levels are so high mm. it, across the board in terms of skill, fitness and everything else. The game is so close to be actually fulfilling its potential. Yes, no, it's and true. we're having true. this conversation. It's true. Let's park that one there. And you're all welcome back on once a month over the next six months to figure out how to save the game. We can uh, <laughs> endless bandwidth here. We'll do it. The, prob- the problem there, Joe, is they can't get a proper platform to to uh, to run the experiments because players will uh, players and coaches will reject it. They don't want it in around the league. They don't really want it in around the preseason because that's long termism, yeah. and their priority is short termism. Yes, yes, yes. So when it goes down to the freshers and that, it's just it's been thrown around. So there's no proper platform to experiment. That's a that's an issue. Maybe a media game at Crow Park or something. We'll come. We'll, we'll have a think. Um, in terms of controversies, like the, every year is defined by a good old controversy. We don't have time to get into it. Clock is very much against us. It is worth noting that, and Mick, you wrote a great piece in it one Sunday where you charted the history of the hill. We did see violence bubble up on the hill and I guess we're all hoping that's really not the tendency and it's a strange aberration, fingers crossed. So we'll just note that and move on. It wasn't like it was horrific either. The big controversy of the GEA championship column has been GEA Go. The 
issues here are twofold. One, just the principle of asking members to pay. Do we really need to do that? And then secondly, the conflict of interest in the eyes of many between or in, in, in Ortiz's uh, position in particular in that they're fighting for the best games for the licence fee payer but then equally they have a stake in GAA Go being a big success so how can they do both without a serious conflict and obvious uh, conflict of interest and they have very much argued there is no conflict here whatsoever the CCCC decide all um, Where are we as we head into next year on GAA Go? Do you think it'll bubble up again? I think it'll always bubble up. It always bubbled up with Sky as well. I mean, I don't think it was a whole lot different, and it all. Did you? I, up I sort of felt with Sky, it didn't. It never, never. It stopped dominating front pages, politicians, all that kind of crack. I suppose the conflict of interest uh, and the license fee, the duality there. I suppose that that probably did add a different edge. But I think when there's a good game that people miss on a Saturday evening, that's really when it starts. But I think you have to look at it. I mean, it, the GA came out at the very start of Sky and said it's not about the money. But actually, it is about the money, and it has to be about the money. There are stadiums around the country that, number one, aren't built. The GA can only commit 15 million to Casement Park right now. There's a 7 million, at least, shortfall yeah. in the stadium in Louth. Uh, you have Waterford Development, you have Navin, you've. Uh, I look at Semple Stadium now. And it's the second stadium in the country, maybe the third after Parking Group, but it is a second stadium. And it is in need of an upgrade and repair. All of that is needed. And to generate revenue, the GA needs to have, not to have its hands too tightly tied behind its back in terms of media revenue. Because media revenue, if you look at the accounts over the last number of years, is one of the big areas of growth. And you know, to make an omelette, you're going to have to break a few eggs. And if that's putting a few games behind a paywall, I think the issue for GA Go for me is the quality of the broadband in country areas. And this probably, the GA may, may have jumped onto a streaming platform too quickly. But the fundamental of some pay-per-view games has to be there so that it can generate some revenue. Because if there's no GA Go or if there's no competitors and Okay, TG Cahar and TV3 will, or Virgin will come in as potential competitors. But how much can they actually pay to make the revenue, to make the media rights, uh, to, to make it vibrant for the GA so that it can? I mean, I, I would think that sponsorship is starting to taper off. I think probably uh, gate receipts will taper off. If you're, looking at the, if you're looking at the accounts, the area of growth for them to make that step, mm. I think, is around the media rights um, and if you're putting everything or you're committing, as some politicians have, saw Melda Munster had a statement out there uh, pretty quickly after the um, after the Oireachtas committee saying she thinks all games should be free to wear. And she was obviously very good in her questioning and all of that. But where do you get the seven million for the stadium and her constituency to make that shortfall? All of these things are a factor. In time, we're going to have a quality of expenses with the players' charter, with the ladies' camogie. And obviously the GA are going to have to play their part for that. That's all going to come into the equation too. So the GA needs sufficient money to function. And one of the areas there for me is Diego. Obviously that's hard when Cork and Tip are playing on a Saturday night. And I do think we'll see a relaxation around some of those games. But the idea that everything should be free to wear like that, I think that's gone. Yeah. Any quibbles with that, Morris? No, I think that's, yeah, spot on, essentially. They're probably... That argument is the 
the relevant argument because that's what again the, the public seems to be most worked up upon and the second issue is in, in reality is actually the primary issue which is uh the relationship between geo and rte and i think that's something that does need to be resolved that's to- it's, I'm, I'm talking totally separate to the product and how good it has been as a service and we presume the developments in terms of an app and all that sort of thing will be better flagged i think they could definitely have a bigger campaign around the pre-christmas offer for example in terms of from a, just from a pricing perspective that was there this year that could definitely be better marketed uh, but if you park all that aside there is the situation in terms of the conflict of interest between RTE and Diego and what that means for various stakeholders. And I do think that still needs a resolution. Uh, that's that's totally separate to the existence of Diego, which I don't think is going anywhere. Yeah. Mick, largely in agreement? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Like, I mean, I think, you know, the mo- they need to get the money somewhere. The GA is one of the few or, you know, major sporting organisations, I, I use that term carefully, across the con- across the world, that would still probably be bringing in more from their gate receipts than their than their commercial revenue, their media revenue. So, like there is, as Colin said, like there's that that gap is shrinking, and Morris is absolutely right. Like, I mean, if you if you if you were to harness the energy uh, that was that was whipped up around Ryan Toberty and the whole RT controversies this summer and follow that through, you would imagine that something like RT having a stake in GA Go would be something that will disappear very quickly, and that someone else would have to come in and fill the void. So we'll see whether that happens or not. But certainly, like even from a revenue point of view, it's already from from what we from what we glean from those hearings, like GA goes work for the GA, you know, so it, yeah. it ain't going anywhere, and they need the money. And I mean, as Colin said, start. There's nothing wrong with saying it's about the money. Kind of sometimes the GA and GA people, for again, for want of a better expression, get kind of wrapped up in this whole thing about money. We need money to build stuff. We need money to fund teams. We need. Money is okay, like mm. you know, if it's go if it's being used in the right way and for and uh, you know it, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to say it's for the money. So yeah, look, I, it's it's here to stay. The pay per view thing was junk years and years ago. That shouldn't be an issue for anybody. Okay, we are completely out of time. So you both get two words here and zero explanation. But I ask because the footballer of the year debate. It's very much Dublin's year. But the footballer of the year debate, pretty interesting on Twitter. Like a more disparate range of views than in previous years, I think. So you get two words and no explanation, which is, you know, that'll really set you up for criticism on Twitter, which is just what you want. So, uh, Morris, you can lead the way. Morris Brosnan's Footballer of the Year with zero explanation. Uh, Brian Fenton. Brian Fenton. I'm sort of leaning that way, I have to say. The more I think about it. Colin you Keys. get an explanation and I don't. Well, listen, my, I'll do what I want. Colin Keys. David Clifford. <sighs> Mick Foley. David Clifford. There we go. Okay, fellas, that was superb. Let's um, pick up the what can we do to sort out Gaelic football and, and make it a better product in a couple of months' time. Uh, but in the meantime, Colin Keyes of the Irish Independent, Morris Brosnan of the Irish Examiner and Mick Foley of the Sunday Times. Thanks, fellas. Enjoy the rest. Take a few weeks off. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Okay. And our Gaelic football coverage on Off the Ball is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Senior Football Championship. You can check out hashtag the Tovist for more. Gaelic football on Off the Ball with AIB, proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more.